Good morning. Uh, so my name is Tim Henson, and uh, just a brief introduction. I've been coming to Grace with my family for about five years. Um, my wife is our worship leader this morning, uh, Jeanette, and uh, my son Joe is over there, and we have also Sam and Rachel who are away at school. Um, I have been a lifelong Christian, Christian as long as I can remember, been going to church and sitting in the pews as long as I can remember, and yet I didn't feel in my youth that I had um, much of a feeling of God's personal involvement in my life. Um, I just didn't feel it. I believed it, didn't have a big rebellious period or anything, but I didn't feel that God was personally or uh, involved in my life or, or maybe even very relevant to, to my life until young adulthood. And I think that probably has to do with Jeanette. I think Jeanette would tell you that she had a deeper and more personal relationship with God in her youth than I did. But in, in young adulthood, I started having some milestone moments. Um, might seem dramatic to call them miracles, but some of them seemed miraculous. They were unexpected, uh, unexplainable, if I were to try to mention to people how this thing happened, they would think, well, no, that, that couldn't have happened that way, but, uh, but it, it seemed to. Um, and incredibly meaningful and personal to me. And so I came to see, okay, this is God working in my life. I might not have been a very good listener to all the sermons that I heard in my youth, maybe. So maybe that was on me, that I wasn't as attentive as I could be. But somehow God said, this will get through to him. I will show who I am, that, that I'm personal and, and relevant and meaningful to Tim Henson by doing these milestone moments. And usually they were in response to prayer, because I had been taught that God wants us to pray for very specific things. He wants to know what we yearn for, what we're concerned about. Uh, but sometimes it wasn't. Sometimes it would just, this incredible thing would happen. And then I would realize, oh, this is something that I was quite nervous about. Or, oh, this was something I was not even aware of, but if not for God, I would have been in deep trouble. So it seemed that God kept kind of rescuing me over and over again. Um, I was thinking about this reading Psalm, uh, Psalm 111. And verses 1 through 5, I'll read it to you. A couple of things struck me. It says, praise the Lord, I will extol the Lord with all my heart in the counsel of the upright and in the assembly. Great are the works of the Lord, they are pondered by all who delight in them. Glorious and majestic are his deeds and his righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wonders to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and compassionate. He provides food for those who fear him and he remembers his covenant forever. I'll highlight a couple of these things. Um, great are the works that are pondered by all who delight in them. That's what I was feeling. That as certain things happened in my life, I thought I, I would ponder, I would wonder and think, well, surely that had to have been of God. And then these wonders were remembered by me. All right, I'm fighting the air conditioning. I'm moving back over to this side. <clears throat> um, and so, and so um, that kind of reminded me of, uh, of the phrase... Here I raise my Ebenezer, from the song Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, the hymn. And, um, and it says, Here I raise my Ebenezer, hither by thy help I've come. And that comes from 1 Samuel, chapter 7. Samuel, who was not a military leader, was, reading, was leading the Israelite army 
against the much more powerful and greater Philistine army. And surely they were going to lose, but they didn't because God massively stepped in and led them to victory. And Samuel then said, we have to mark this moment. Ebenezer means stone of help. And, and so I don't know if it was one stone or a pile of stones, but he erected a small monument basically at the exact place where God had delivered them victory. And Samuel said, this, this is the place where God stepped in and reminded us, were it not for him, that we would be in big trouble. So I, I had not known what hither meant or Ebenezer, but our family has come to know that Ebenezer is kind of those milestone or miraculous moments where God steps into our life in an unexplainable way and makes himself very personally known to us. So when Pastor Dave asked, um, how does God speak his love to you and speak his love through you, I think for me personally, it's remembering and pondering those very specific moments. And I could give you a list of, of the moments throughout my life where I've felt God's involvement. And now Jeanette and I are experiencing that with our kids, where each of them would say, here's my moment where God made himself extremely personal and meaningful to my life. Thank you. So my name is Pastor Dave. If you are fairly new to Grace and I haven't had a chance to connect with you before the service, I hope I can uh, grab you and welcome you as we wrap up today. But uh, this morning, rather than me getting up to bring the message for this morning, I want to introduce to you Jim Heddles. Jim Heddles has been on our staff for a few months now. He is our interim uh, uh, director of spiritual formation. He's, helping, he's been integral in helping us put together this Love Express series and the readings and all that that we've been doing over the last few weeks and I have personally actually been looking forward to actually hearing him speak this morning and pour into me as well. So would you guys welcome Jim this morning? Thanks. Actually, Dave told me, you know, I said, well, you're probably really happy that, you know, you didn't have to got a good night's sleep. And he said he binge watched history last night. So that's what he was really looking forward to. <laughs> no, I, I've done this uh, a few times over the years and one of the advantages of spacing it out is that uh, many of you maybe have never heard me speak before, so you won't know if I'm repeating myself. And those who have heard it before have already forgotten, so you won't notice either. So, um, so over the past seven weeks or so, we've been reading together from a selection of Old Testament books that we call the Poets. Um, that includes the Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Lamentations, and Job. And we're concluding this week the Psalms, so I'm going to speak a little bit on the Psalms and at the end, and then we'll be doing Job. So our sermon series has been entitled Love Expressed, how does God express his love to us, and how do we express his love, how does he express his love through us to others? And David asked me, you know, gave me the choice of Sundays and passages, and so I was really happy to be able to choose one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. And I was equally relieved that I could leave Job to David next week and not have to do that. So the uh, sermon notes are in my, on mygrace.church if you're interested. There's also a paper copy that is always at the back of the sanctuary when you come in or when you go out if you need those. The title this morning is We Are God's Beloved. So let me just pray for us to start. 
Heavenly Father, we bless you this morning. We thank you that you are here, that you are present, that your Holy Spirit will empower me and will empower us all to hear your words, to hear what you're saying. We ask for the grace to respond as you desire. We thank you that you love us and delight in us and open our hearts to that today. Amen. So I think it would be helpful for you to have a little bit of a context on my life and experience because this sermon is really uh, coming forth from that. It's not just an arbitrary passage. It's something very personal and meaningful. So I grew up in the church, but it really wasn't until I was in high school that I understood that Jesus didn't just come to teach us how to be good people, that, that there was a bigger problem and that Jesus died for me and for my sins and that we needed to uh, trust in him for that and ask him to come into our life. And so I did that when I was in high school. And then I went away to college and I got involved with a campus group that helped me a lot uh, to grow in my faith and to help others grow. And I was kind of a overachiever, kind of insecure person. And so that kind of translated into my uh, faith as well. So I did everything that was the right thing to do and did it well and over the top, tried to. And that led to a negative experience. It led to what's uh, called emotional burnout close to the end of my school. I was involved in some difficult relationships. And, and God used that to really introduce me in a more powerful way to the aspect of his love, uh, his grace, that I didn't have to be you know, the super Christian for God to approve of me and to like me and to extend his grace to me. So that was kind of an Ebenezer moment to use Tim's language for me. Then um, I, life went on. I got a job. I moved around. I did different things. I got married. I had three kids. Came back to Tucson. And I was teaching Sunday school. I was praying. I was doing Bible study. You know, I was doing all the right church things to do. But there was this phrase that was kind of ringing in my head. It was this this phrase that uh, Jesus loves you and wants to have a personal relationship with you. And, well, I know now God was doing something, but that phrase, personal relationship, just kept going over and over, and I was kind of struggling with that. What did, what did that mean? What did God want to uh, show me in that? And it turned out that God did show me in a very powerful way that he did want a personal relationship, and I was living a principle-centered faith. I was discovering what the principles of good living were, and I was living by them, but I didn't have a, a personal, intimate connection with him. And so he showed me that and continues to do that. And so what I'm going to share this morning is kind of the fruit of, of those experiences and that understanding. So we've been reading the Psalms as the bulk of our... Um, of our reading in the poets, and we've learned that the Psalms are divided into five books, uh, different groups, I, I didn't know that before, and that each of the books kind of ends with a praise to kind of mark the end of that book. Well, I've noticed in the fifth book, the one we're reading right now, and we'll finish this week, it's as if the whole section kind of crescendos to the end, and it's not just a phrase of worship, but the last several chapters are are all worshipful toward the Lord. And so it's a very special book for that. And that's the one we're going to look at, some of these ending psalms this morning. Psalm 145 in particular is what I want to look at. It's probably the most compelling description for me of the character of God and of what his kingdom is like. 
in our, many of us have been involved in a small group reading the poets and discussing them, and we've had one on Tuesday night. And one of the things we've noticed is that David has this incredible authenticity and transparency about his relationship with the Lord. And that's you know, challenged us and also inspired us to realize how raw his expressions are, that we can come to God and say anything we want, and God's not offended by that, and just how real God is in his life. And so it's fitting that Psalm 145 is the last psalm attributed to, to David. So we're going to look at that. But before we read Psalm 145, there's a nugget in there that comes from another place, and it comes from uh, Moses. Moses went up on the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments, if you remember the story, and he came down and the people were involved in idol worship, and he broke the tablets, and it was a big mess and a problem, and he ended up going on the mountain a second time to get another set of tablets. And while he was preparing for that, he asked God, he said, I really want you to show me your glory. And God said, I will proclaim my name to you. I will tell you who I am. And this is what he said in Exodus 34. The Lord passed in front of Moses, calling out, Yahweh the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy. I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. Of all the things that God wanted Moses to know, this was what he highlighted as who he was, who his name meant, who was God to be to Moses and to the people of Israel, the God of compassion and mercy, slow to anger, filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. So this, as you can imagine, you know, this is a key thing that God said. So it's repeated. There's several places in the Old Testament where it's quoted exactly, several times in the Psalms and Nehemiah, Joel and Jonah, including in Psalm 145. So it's almost as if David takes this and then expands it out and unpacks what it looks like and what it means in, in more in daily life. So we're going to read a bit of Psalm 145 this morning. I'm going to start at verse 8. And you'll, you'll recognize this is the passage from Moses where David starts. The Lord is merciful and compassionate, slow to anger and filled with unfailing love. The Lord is good to everyone. He showers compassion on all his creation. All of your works will thank you, Lord, and your faithful followers will praise you. They will speak of the glory of your kingdom. They will give examples of your power. They will tell about your mighty deeds and about the majesty and glory of your reign. For your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. You rule throughout all generations. The Lord always keeps his promises. He is gracious in all he does. The Lord helps the fallen and lifts those bent beneath their loads. The eyes of all look to you in hope. You give them their food as they need it. And when you open your hand, you satisfy the hunger and thirst of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in everything he does. He is filled with kindness. The Lord is close to those who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He grants the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cries for help and rescues them. The Lord protects all those who love him, but he destroys the wicked. So Paul takes that, or David takes that first phrase from, from Moses and then he expounds on it. What does it look like in our life, what is God like? That God is always keeps His promises. He's always gracious. And if we kind of highlight those key things, this is another way to look at Psalm 145. 
Lord is great. He's worthy of praise. He's merciful, compassion, unfailing, keeps his promises, helps the fallen, draws close, rescues. These are all, this is who God created, or not created, this is who God spoke to Moses, who he was. And this is how David experienced God in his own life. And I believe this is how God wants us to experience him in our lives. I want to look at one more concept in a couple of the last uh, chapters of Psalms uh, that gives us another insight into God's perspective toward us. First is in Psalm 147. It says, He takes no pleasure in the strength of a horse or in human might. No, the Lord's delight is in those who fear him, those who put their hope in his unfailing love. And then again in Psalm 149, for the Lord delights in his people. He crowns the humble with victory. Let the faithful rejoice that he honors them. Let them sing for joy as they lie in their beds. That idea that not only is God loving and merciful and compassionate, but that God takes pleasure in his people, that God delights in them. It says in other translations that he is pleased with the people. And I really like in Psalm 149, it says, let the faithful rejoice that he honors them. Imagine that God takes delight in you. God, the God who created the universe, finds pleasure in you. I think that's the honor that he's referring to that we can rejoice in. So we have these two ideas. We have a description of God and his kingdom in Psalm 145. Then we have this idea that God takes pleasure in his people. But, you know, I guess that can be true in an abstract conceptual level, but what, does that really change anything for me? Is, that, is God interested in that for me, or is he more concerned that you know, I become a better person, that I work harder, that I serve more in church, etc.? What does it mean to, to really have this personalized? Well, a few years ago, I found this quote by David Wilkerson. David Wilkerson was the famous pastor from uh, New York City in the 60s. He wrote the book, The Cross and the Switchblade, which talked about his ministry to gangs and what God did there. And, and this is later in life when he wrote this, and it was really compelling to me. He says, God desires that we be so convinced of his tender love, so persuaded he is at work bringing us into his best, that we will have continual joy and gladness in our walk with him. You know, I read that and I thought, I really like that idea, you know. Is that, but is that, really, is that really true? That was the question I was asking myself. Is that, is that really true that God wants that for us? You know, and we, we see that a little bit in Moses' life and we see that in David's life, but they're superhero Bible people, so maybe that doesn't apply to me. Let's look at it in Jesus' life for a minute. So I want to, I want to talk about God's audible voice, which is an amazing thing to think of. That The New Testament tells us that God spoke audibly three times or that they understood God to be speaking three times. The first time was at Jesus' baptism. The second time was on the Mount of Transfiguration when Peter, uh, Paul, um, Peter James, and John joined Jesus. And the third time is on Palm Sunday, which that was more of a thunder, and they didn't quite understand what he was saying. But the first two were very clear. And if you think about it, you know, what, what do you think God would say if it was audible? He has the chance for everybody to hear something. You know, is he going to say, 
I'm God, you better get in line, you know, you're in big trouble, you know, here's the Ten Commandments again, you didn't get it the first time, um, what was Jesus going to say? Well, let, let's look at what he did say, starting with Jesus' baptism, which, by the way, was before he'd done anything, he'd done no miracles, nobody knew about him, he hadn't accomplished anything of note. After his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my dearly loved Son who brings me great joy. Of all the things that God could say that would be recorded as his audible voice, this is what we have. And then in the Mount of Transfiguration, you know, the, Moses and Elijah were there speaking with Jesus and Peter had the great idea of building three tents for him because he was a very practical guy. And uh, so even as Peter spoke, a bright cloud overshadowed them and a voice from the cloud said, This is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. Listen to him. The disciples were terrified, obviously, fell down on the ground. Jesus came over and touched them and said, Get up, don't be afraid. You know, this was not... Some maybe God said it thing. This was, I mean, they heard God's voice. And this was what God chose to say. This is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. Listen to him. You know, we can say, okay, Moses, David, Jesus, obviously, right? I mean, he's God's son. He's perfect. He didn't do anything wrong. Of course, God delights in him. You know, is it still true for me? Well, Jesus says something very interesting in his prayer the night before he was arrested. We have this lengthy prayer in John 17 where he's praying for those who have chosen to follow him. So if we look at John 1.12, we see that it says this, But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. So whoever has decided that Jesus is who he said he was, who he says he is, that he died for you and me, and have decided to receive him and trust him and follow him, they become God's children. They become part of the family. We are adopted into God's family when we make that decision. And so when we do that, when we're part of God's family, all of a sudden John 17 and Jesus' prayer is for us and about us. So let's look at that. John 17 is a lengthy prayer, and I'm going to just pick this portion toward the end where he says, I have given them the glory you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me. I'm just going to stop there because oftentimes we preach on that. We talk about unity in the church and we kind of miss the second half of this verse perhaps. But I think it's amazingly profound. And he says, and that you love them as much as you love me. To think that Jesus, perfect, everything, obviously the Father loves him, but to realize that what Jesus knows and understands and wants us to know is that Jesus, the Father, loves us in the same way, that we are a delight to God as his children, that what David experienced and what David said is true for us, and the delight that God had in, in the Psalms was also referring to us. So being confused and stubborn and difficult as I am, 
It was a little hard for that still to get through to me. So there's another guy in the Bible that kind of had a similar problem. His name was Paul. So he was a super achiever in the religious world. You know, I'm not the same scale as Paul, but we had a similar problem trying to do everything right to be approved by God. Well, obviously, maybe you know the story. God interrupted Paul's life when he was persecuting Christians, and he went blind, and there was a miracle, and he realized that Jesus was real and true. But he was still a pretty hardcore dude. You know, he was still had a lot of uh, things to learn. He'd probably memorized, for sure, Psalm 145. He certainly knew the story of Moses on the mountain. So he knew the verses. He knew the principles. But God did something in his life. We have a period of Paul's life where we don't know much what happened. Uh, several years in the desert, for example. But we see afterward, when we look at his letters, we see that Paul is different. We see that God touched his life, that God made Psalm 145 real to Paul. You see, especially in in Thessalonians, this tenderness that he expresses to the Thessalonians. And where you really see it, I think, is in in Ephesians 3, when uh, Paul gives us a model prayer of what, to me, is perhaps the most important thing that we should know and experience. So I'm going to read that from Ephesians 3, Paul's prayer. By the way, if you're ever wondering what to pray for somebody, just open one of Paul's letters and within the first few verses, you'll usually find something that's very appropriate for any of us. This one especially. Paul says, when I think of all this, and he's referring to what he just explained, the mystery of Jesus coming and and everybody being able to join into his family. He says, I fall on my knees and pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I pray that from his glorious and unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will go down, grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide and long, how high and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that come from God. You know, like I said, Paul knew Psalm 145. He knew that God was great and merciful and everything. But somewhere along the way, God intervened and showed Paul that actually this love thing is very personal, it's very real, and it's beyond all that you knew before. And, and I want you to experience it, and I want all of my family to experience it. So we come back to the big idea today. Being convinced of God's genuine affection for me, not just for the world, changes everything. I'm concluding here by looking at Moses and David, Jesus and Paul. You know, I figured when you prepare a sermon, if you get Moses, David, Jesus, and Paul in there, at least you've got, got to have something that goes right for you. So, but it's also how God has spoken to my heart. And I want to think about why, why is this important? Why is this important? Why should we think about it? Why should we bother with it, I guess? So, why is it important? First of all, I think it's important because it's what God wants for us. You know, when we go to heaven, we're not going to do a lot of things that seem really important down here. But we're going to be loved by God. 
And we're going to be delighted in by God. And we're going to receive that great honor. And it's going to be incredible. And I think he wants us to start to experience that here. It also establishes a solid foundation for trust, listening, and obeying. If we know God is for us, not just intellectually, but at a heart level, then it frees us up to trust him when he tells us what he's going to do. And it gives us that motivation to listen for him because we know it's going to be good and know it's going to be for our good. And we can obey accordingly. It also connects us to the proper source of security, significance, and success. These are the things that we like to find in our careers and in our family and our possessions and our retirement fund and you know, our accomplishments. Well, those things aren't necessarily bad, but they're not to be the source of our significance or the source of our security or the source of our ultimate success that's going to be grounded in the love of God for us. And then third is when we receive God's love expressed to us on a deeper level, we have this resource to be able to express God's love to others. If we start to see ourselves the way God sees us, then we're going to see other people and realize God sees them that way. That just as he delights in me, he delights in this person that bugs me. But they're precious to him. And so experiencing God's love will equip us in all of these fashions. So what was true for Jesus, it was the foundation of his life, I think, and the foundation of his relationship with the Father as adoptees into his family. God wants us to live from that and build on it. But... It can be hard. It's not necessarily straightforward. You know, I, I shared a little bit of my story. I, you know, was in the church a long time. I did a lot of the right things, but I was missing the, a key component that God wanted to bring to my attention and build into my life. And I got this next slide that talks about some of the things that we say and what we really mean. So in small letters is what we say and bold is what we mean or feel. Some of these might be true for you. I believe in God, but God isn't really involved on a personal level. Or, I don't give him the time he deserves. He couldn't really be pleased with me. Maybe I messed up again. God must be tired of forgiving me. Or, I'm not very consistent in reading my Bible. I don't pray very much. God's probably embarrassed, or at least ashamed of me. How good am I as a Christian? Or, I don't do anything significant. I go to Grace Church in Oral Valley and I just work and take care of my family. I'm not very important in God's kingdom. I'm not important to God. We have the saying, sometimes we say something that's true, but what we really feel and mean is something that's not true. And just as Jesus experienced the temptations of our enemy in the desert through lies and deception, that's exactly a struggle that we have. Those things that we feel are not true. But they're what we say to ourselves, and they're what we internalize, and they're what maybe other people have said to us. And so they get a grip on our lives that keep us from the truth of what God wants us to know, that we're special, precious, and honored by him. So we have to identify those lies and respond with the truth. So that might not be your journey. That might be not, this might not express where you're at. It might be something different, but these are some, some ideas. So what can we do with all this? If we believe it's true and we want to 
grow into what God wants to give us, what can we do? Well, these are just three things. This is not, you know, three points. You do this and you make it. It's, it's not a, it's a journey, right? It's a long-term journey. But I think these are three things that you might think about doing. First is to believe what God says over the lies that might be in our thinking. And you may not even realize that you're thinking a lie until God opens your eyes to see that. So you want to ask him about that. Am I believing anything that's not true about you or about me? Second thing is, I think we want, need to want it and ask for it. You know, it's kind of interesting that God doesn't just shower that truth on us unexpectedly, that Jesus prayed for it. So Paul prayed for it. So we know God wants us to ask for it. We know Jesus talked about asking, seeking, knocking. There's something about wanting it and asking for it and pursuing it that pleases the Lord and and gives him the desire to allow us to experience it in, in more fully. So I would use Ephesians 3. That's what I've done for a long time. I don't do it daily for a year or two. Maybe you could. I'd recommend it. Um, something like that is a neat spiritual practice. And then I'm going to give you a very simple, modern spiritual practice. You know, we've talked about that term, spiritual practice. Uh, David went on sabbatical, studied the early church fathers, you know, we kind of had this idea that it was monks in a cave, and it's not, you know, it applies to us, there's things we can do. Debbie D. Bernardi, who's here this morning, thank you, Debbie, was with us last summer and helped several of us, many of us, with some, some, new, some old ideas that maybe were new to us that are helpful. But this is a super modern spiritual practice, very simple, that I've done recently that I really like that I want to pass on to you, and it's just a miniature playlist, right? Almost everybody has a device or know somebody that has a device, and a lot of times you listen to music on that device. And so what I started to do a few years ago, there was a couple songs, I think, in, in church that were really compelling to me, and so I downloaded them, put them on there, and just had a two- or three-song playlist that I listened to several, you know, every day for a few weeks. And, and it was really powerful for me to move. You know, I'm an engineer, so I, it's easy for me to get the concept, and it's hard for it to get from here down to here. But I find, for me, music really helps do that. And so I did that several times over the last few years, and particularly last summer, I was thinking about this idea already of being God's beloved. So I went on YouTube and put in Beloved and found these three songs um, that are up here, and they're on the sermon notes if you're interested. And so I would just listen to that every day, you know? Sometimes with focused attention, sometimes while I'm getting ready for... Or work or driving and it's just amazing what music can do for us and you understand why the psalms were memorized and sung and these are kind of modern songs modern psalms i suppose but if they're speaking the truth you want to make sure the song's speaking the truth then it can really be a powerful ministry so i just leave that very simple spiritual practice with you this morning I want to conclude looking back at Psalm 145 as you hopefully are reading with us and we'll be finishing the Psalms. And by the way, if you got bogged down and you feel discouraged, you know, just cut what you didn't get and start with Psalm 145, for example, and read the last few this coming week and finish on the high note with all of us. And as you're reading the Psalms, Think about this and what it means to be true in your life and what if it were true in a really deeply personal way and then ask God to open your eyes to understand that and see that.
Big idea. Being convinced of God's genuine affection for me changes everything. That's been true in my life. It's an ongoing. I know several of you that's true in your lives. I, I would like, I think God wants it to be true for all of us on an ongoing basis. So I'm just going to pray in that sense now and pray for all of us together. So pray with me. Father, we are so grateful that you preserved your words for us, that you spoke to Moses who you were, who you are, and that you gave David a rich experience with you as a young shepherd and then as a king and then as he matured, and you gave him insight into what it looked like for you to be that love that you were, spoke to Moses. And Father, you sent your Son to live among us, to love us, to show us how much you love him and us. Lord, I believe that it's very dear to your heart that we would understand and experience your personal love and affection and we ask for that this morning Lord we ask that you would encourage us on our journey that if we've never thought about that before that you would solidify what is true that you would give us encouraging people to help us believe what is true to pursue you and Lord, we pray that you would fill us with that love so that we could go out and express your love to others, our families, our neighborhood, our colleagues. Lord, may your kingdom come and your will be done in our hearts and through our hearts. And if you've never given your life to Jesus, if you don't feel you know him or part of his family and and God's calling you, and you feel like you want to do that, just invite you to talk to one of us, to me, or to Pastor Dave, or to the prayer team later. Ask God to show you his love for you. Father, we bless you for your word. We bless you for your Holy Spirit in us. We bless you that this is your activity and initiative and we ask you to help us to cooperate with you and to listen to you and to live in all that you have for us. Thank you, Father. Amen.